are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. John 17, 6-26 I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that. Uh, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's good to gather with you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. If we haven't had the chance to meet, we'd love to be able to meet you after the service. Welcome to members and regular attenders. It's good to be with you. Thankful that it was a sunny day today. It makes me think spring is somewhat around the corner. So I'm looking forward to warmer, brighter days ahead and just looking forward to hopefully, Lord willing, soon when we can all be together in the same room, not only on, in, in person and online, but all in the same room without our masks on anymore, worshiping our God and King. But until that day, we will do this and be thankful for that Uh, that we have this opportunity. Before we dive into John 17, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for the church, for your people. God, what a gift it is to be able to gather together, 
to have technology right now to be able to do that both virtually and in person. But God, we thank you for the gift it is that you established for us the rhythms of having a weekly time to be with one another, to lift up our voices in praise, to hear your word prayed and read and now preached. And God, we pray that as we open up your word right now, that you would help us to be attentive to what you want to say to us. Help us by your spirit to receive your word now together. God, help us as we do this to be who you have made us to be. And God, help us to be who you've called us to be. Together, your church, the bride of Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the summer of 2012, we were having some people over to our house, some friends that were going to be a part of planting Sojourn Church. And we were having dinner together and talking, just kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this huge gust of wind came and kind of scared us. Moved our deck chairs around. It blew over our grill, like a five burner grill, completely knocked it over and the power went out. We found out later that this was called a derecho, a sudden fast moving windstorm. And the gust in that one had gotten up to 70 miles per hour in the blink of an eye. It was crazy. I mean, in a matter of a few seconds, things that seemed stable, like a heavy grill that would take two people to lift, was toppled over and broken. Why? Why did that happen? Well, because that thing that seemed stable wasn't actually grounded in anything. It wasn't tethered to anything. As we come to our text today in John chapter 17, we find ourselves in the midst of Jesus praying. He's praying before the Father as he gets ready to head to the cross. Last week, we looked at the first part of this prayer, and today we're going to look at the second and third sections together. And in this, we learn something really important for our life as followers of Jesus in the midst of a world that is set against God and the gospel. It is critical for us to stay grounded in order to remain faithful. It's critical for us to stay grounded in order to remain faithful. There are going to be temptations that come our way as we seek to follow Christ. Temptations both personally in our lives, culturally in the world we find ourselves in. Temptations to pull us away from what is right and what is true. Temptations that are going to come our way that will seek to tear us apart as a community of followers of Jesus. Sometimes those temptations will be subtle. Other times it'll feel like whipping winds. And we can see this throughout history and we can see it in our current cultural context as well. Our enemy, our great adversary, Satan, doesn't have a lot of tactics and schemes. He doesn't have a large toolbox, but what he does have, he's very good at, surgical even crafty in what he does. He seeks to sow seeds of discord among God's people. He seeks to deceive God's people, exploiting our lack of discernment. He seeks to promote division and disunity. And listen, if we are not tethered, if we're not grounded in the gospel, if we're not rooted in the character and nature of our king and his kingdom, then we too will be blown away and blown over, toppled and broken. Jesus knows this, and so Jesus prays. He prays first for his 11 disciples, but as we'll see, he also prays for us. And what we see that he prays for is a grounded unity, 
a grounded unity for the sake of global mission. A grounded unity because we find ourselves in the world, but not of the world. The implications of Jesus' prayer, this part that we're going to look at today, are sobering, but they're also encouraging. And so my hope for us is that because of what Jesus prays for us, that we will move forward in faithfulness, not only in the days ahead, but for generations and generations until Jesus comes again. So let's jump into John 17, and may we see Jesus more clearly today. Last week, we saw that as Jesus is about to head to the cross, he comes before the Father in prayer. In the first few verses that we looked at last week, Jesus is primarily praying for himself, but not in a self-seeking kind of way. He's praying that he would be glorified and the Father would be glorified, something they've shared for all eternity. Their glory is interconnected with one another. Now in this next part, we get to see the tender heart of our shepherd for his followers. But as we dive into this text, I want you to think about something as we're walking through this text. Jesus is literally hours away from being betrayed. If we flip over the page in my Bible, I start chapter 18, and that's the betrayal of the rest of Jesus. Like he's, he's hours away, moments away from being handed over to authorities to then go into a bogus trial and be crucified on the cross for your sin and mine. And he doesn't spend time praying about that. What's on his mind right before he goes to this cross are his followers and their life together. So I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through this text. Now, this is a longer section. Thank you, Dominique, for reading all of those verses for us. It's a longer section. So instead of going exactly verse by verse, we're going to go more section by section and highlight parts within the whole to draw out this overarching theme. And let me just encourage you, especially today, but really any Sunday, is to have your Bible out in front of you. Whether that's a paper version of the Bible, I like having the paper version in my hands, or you have an electronic copy, have it in front of you, especially walking through a long text today, just so you can track what we're walking through. We're preaching God's word, and so we want to be looking at it. But I've broken this text of scripture down into four sections and given them a title or a heading. The first is gave them, then keep them, unite them, and lastly, lead them. Let's look at the first section, gave them. This is in verses six through 10. Let me read these verses for us again. Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus begins this part of his prayer by telling us why he's praying for his disciples and not the whole world. He says, Father, these are the ones that you gave to me. And these ones that you've given to me, they've received your word, my word. But in this fact that he's saying that the Father has given these people to Jesus is not a value statement about his 11 disciples, as if they have some superior abilities or talents or characteristics, and that's why the Father gave them to Jesus. No, 
If anything, it's telling us about God's redeeming grace. That these 11 men that are sitting with Jesus right now in this moment weren't impressive, they were lost. And God sought them and he saved them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and he brought them into relationship with Christ. And as we saw last week and we're reminded from John 1.18, Jesus accomplished his mission. He fulfilled his purpose. He made the Father known. And here he says that he manifested the Father's name to the ones that the Father gave to him. Now what does it mean that Jesus manifested his name? Well, in his name is about God's character and his nature. It's about God's works and his words. It's about the totality of who he is and what he does. To reveal God's name is to make God known in every way possible. It reminds me of Exodus chapter 34. If you've been doing a Bible reading plan, you've probably been in Exodus recently. Exodus chapter 34, Moses wants to see God's glory and God says, I can't show you my full glory, but I'll show you the backside of my glory. And as God's glory passes by, what does he say to Moses? He announces his name. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He announces who he is in his character and nature by telling us his name. And Jesus does that for us. Jesus reveals God's character in nature in his person, in his work. He shows us and manifests his name to us. That's why he said in John 14, if you want to know the Father and see the Father, you know and see him in and through me. And it was through this that these now 11 disciples have received Jesus' word and they've kept his word. They've continued to follow Christ, they've believed Jesus is from the Father. Now, we can look at the life of the disciples and we see that they didn't understand fully. They didn't follow Jesus perfectly, but they did follow him. They followed him. In fact, they left everything to follow him. It reminds me of John chapter six, when Jesus is speaking to the crowd that he's just fed through a, mirac through a miracle, he says hard things to them and many of them walk away from Jesus, but these close disciples don't. And Jesus says, are you gonna leave me too? And they say, no, where else would we go? Jesus, you alone have the words of life. That was true then and it's still true today. He's praying for them specifically because they're precious to him and they're precious to the Father and it's in them and through them that Jesus will be glorified. He's praying for them because he knows he's about to leave them, which leads to our next section, keep them, in verses 11 through 19. Let me read those verses for us again. Verse 11, Jesus continues to pray, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus knows that his departure is imminent. Not just in the sense that he's about to go to the cross and be crucified, but that after Jesus is raised again from the grave, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and won't be physically present with his disciples anymore. And so he prays for them. He prays to the Father that the Father would keep them. In verse 11, keep them in his name. And in verse 15, keep them from the evil one. He's praying that the Father would both guard them and ground them. Why? Because they are in the world and he's not praying for them to be removed from it. He tells us in verse 15 because he still has work for them to accomplish. They are in the world, but they're not of the world, he tells us in verse 16. It's striking to me how many times within this one section he makes the comment about the fact that they are not a part of this world anymore. They've been called out from it, but they still exist in it. And he knows that because of that, their faithfulness is going to be attacked. He knows that because of that, their unity is going to be attacked. They'll be tempted to wander away from truth. They'll be tempted to neglect the gospel that they first believed. So we have to understand something in the midst of this that's relevant for these 11 disciples at that point in time and is still true for us today. The world we live in is always preaching at us. It's always trying to deliver a message and communicate something to us, a message of hope and wholeness, a false message of hope and wholeness, that we can find those things apart from Jesus, that we can find joy in life if we follow this guy over here or look over here at this thing or just do these kinds of things or get these kinds of things, that mantra over and over again. The reality is that all of us are going to be discipled by someone or something. Just a matter of who that is. Jesus knows this is coming for these 11 disciples. He knows that the world is going to come against them. The world is going to hate them because these disciples have rejected those false messages of the world, those false gospels as they seek to follow Jesus. That's why he prays for the Father to keep them in his name. He's praying for them to continue in truth to be unified in belief, to remain in Christ, rooted in Jesus, no matter what the world does, no matter what the world says. That's why he prays for the Father to keep them from the evil one, or more generally, just from evil. He's praying that they wouldn't be discouraged or divided or deceived by the one who seeks to do all of those things and has done all of those things since the beginning of time. It's what he did with Adam and Eve. He did it with God's people in the Old Testament and he continues to do it today. See, Jesus had done that work of keeping them. He had been with them, he'd been physically present with them, teaching them, guarding them, helping them think rightly. He had done it with all of them, it says, except Judas, not for something lacking in Christ, but because the scriptures needed to be fulfilled. But now he's leaving them. So he prays, Father, keep them. Father, ground them and guard them that they may remain faithful. Do you see our shepherd's heart in this for his followers? He's looking out for his sheep with tender care because he knows that things are going to be challenging for them. 
He knows that things are going to be trying as they seek to walk along the way in this life on the narrow path that leads to life. But this grounding and guarding, it's not a prayer for their safety. It's not a prayer that they would be sheltered and isolated from the world. No, it's a prayer for their joy, he says, and it's a prayer for the sake of global mission, as we'll see in just a moment. See, in verses 17 and 18, he prays for them to be sanctified, really to be set apart, just like he is set apart. Why? Because, he tells us, just as the Father has sent him into the world, so he now sends them into the world on a holy mission, a holy mission to spread the word of the king and the influence of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. This leads to our next section, our third section, Unite Them. We see this in verses 20 through 23. Look at what Jesus prays there. He says, I do not ask for these only, the 11 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. They may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And I love this. Do, do you see what's going on here, what Jesus is praying here? He's praying for future disciples for those who will come to hear and believe the gospel through the ministry of these 11 that he sends out. These 11 who would indeed remain unified and faithful and focused at the task at hand, whose message, Jesus's message, will go well beyond their life, well beyond their ministry to reach people all around the world, people like you and me. That means that if you have genuinely, genuinely repented of your sin and have placed your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, then Jesus in this moment is praying for you. He has you in mind. He didn't go to the cross to die for an amorphous group of people. He knows you by name and went there for your sin and now he's praying for you. It's an amazing reality mind-blowing for us to think about. The Savior of the world would have me in mind. What does he pray for you and me? Literally, right before he's about to go to the cross to die as a substitute for us, what does he pray for? Not that we'd be happy. Not that we'd be comfortable. Not that we'd have more and more stuff. Not that we'd be safe. No, what does he pray for? One thing, he prays that we would be united that we'd have unity. He's praying for our unity, but not just some generic kind of unity. No, a unity that's modeled for us and seen in the Father and the Son, the oneness that they have. This is so important for us to understand. See, I think we can read a text like this and see a word like unity that we'd be together and we can think organizationally. We're gonna be organizationally united. We can think ecumenically, like, well, it doesn't kind of really matter what you believe. Let's just all be matched up and paired up and united together. No, this isn't the kind of unity he's calling for, that he's praying for. This is an all-encompassing relational unity that's grounded in the unity of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
It's a unity that's only possible because of the life-altering effect of the gospel. See, before Jesus comes into your life, you attempt to rule your own life. You you, you attempt to rule your own life as a self-declared, self-sufficient, self-sovereign. And when sin rules your life, selfishness rules the day. In those moments, you are at the center of everything. The world revolves around you, and you're okay with that. But that's not God's good design for you. It's not God's good design for me. We weren't meant to be rulers of our own lives. In fact, we're incapable of being rulers of our own lives. It's both damning and damaging to our soul now and forever, but God. But God being rich in mercy but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, church, when Jesus invades your life, he deposes you off of that self-constructed throne that you've made and by grace enables you to be remastered and made new. He pushes you off that throne you've made when he comes into your life and when he invades your life, everything changes for you. Oh, how desperately you and I need to be ruled. Not by strong arm leadership, not by grandstanding, not by spiritually abusive people, not even by one another. We need to be ruled by Christ, our compassionate, strong, humble, risen king. When Jesus invades your life, he gives you a new heart. A new heart that no longer defiantly lives for self over others, but now lives for and loves God and others above self. That means that when Jesus prays for oneness and unity, it's not some fluffy kind of sounding unity. It's a unity that comes about because of the gospel. It's a unity of heart that's been changed, a unity of a mind that's been renewed, a unity of a will that's been submitted to Christ, a unity of a life that has been conformed and is being conformed to Jesus, a unity of worship that's been redirected off of self and the things of this world onto the only one who deserves our worship, a unity of purpose re-envisioned, not just to do whatever feels good or looks good, but what our God calls us to. It's not a fake kind of unity. It's a grounded unity in the gospel of our king and his kingdom. That's why he can say in verse 22 that he has given us his glory, that we would be one. It's the beholding of Christ's glory that actually changes us. So why does he pray this for us? In this moment before he goes to the cross, why is he praying for you, having your face and your life and mind as he prays? Why is he doing that? For the same reason he prayed for the 11 disciples. Because our adversary in our sin will seek to divide. Listen to me. The forked tongue of that sneaky snake is only going to continue to spew lies at you and seek to sow discord among us. 
He is going to continually and relentlessly seek to deceive you so that you would be captivated by sin and selfishness instead of being being captivated by Christ. We all will be and are tempted to set aside the truth of the gospel. And when we do that, we're tempted to set aside brotherly love for one another. See, I believe that wherever disunity is present amongst God's people, wherever we might see that or experience it, it's always because something else has been elevated to primary importance. Wherever disunity is present amongst God's people, it's because something else has replaced the gospel and its implications for our lives. And when you and I are not pursuing a gospel-grounded unity with one another, we will easily become distracted and ineffective. I've seen this happen in my own heart, my own life, through conflict, through difficulty, distraction. I've seen it happen in the hearts and lives of others. And we've seen it happen a lot over this last year, even in the American church. It is wicked and it is not honoring to the Lord. So I have a question for you. Brother and sister, do you see or sense any inkling or aspect of a spirit of disunity anywhere in your heart and life right now? Do you see or sense the spirit of disunity, disunity at any, in any part of your heart or life right now? I, I want you to, to think honestly about that. And, and I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you with that and allow the Spirit of God to search your heart and point out any grievous way in you and then lead you in the way everlasting. If we see disunity in our lives or disunity in our community, we should repent. But we shouldn't be surprised. Satan is going to attack our unity because he desires to destroy the image of God we bear when we are united together. See, our unity is a fuller experience of the Trinity. And our unity is a fuller experience and expression of the image of God in and through the body of Christ. Multifaceted as it is, people of different ages and different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultures, men and women, when we come together in unity, it expresses in a more full way than any other way possible the image of God in the body of Christ, the church. Jesus prays for our unity because God will be glorified when we are one as he is one. He prays for our unity, but not just for our sake, but so that, verse 21 and 23, that the world may know and believe the Father sent Jesus. See, Jesus prays for a grounded unity for his disciples, including us, a grounded unity for the sake of global mission. Now, why would our unity lead to other people in the world knowing and believing that Jesus is from the Father, that he is who he says he is? The reason is, is because nowhere else in the world does something like this exist. I mean, sure, there are groups of people that get together over a common purpose, maybe like-minded focus, but they're not made up of a diverse group of people unified around a king who isn't us, in a kingdom that is not of this world. 
See, when we strive for unity, it isn't just for ourselves, it isn't just for the health of our church, but so that the world may, be, may believe and be saved. Wherever this kind of gospel-grounded, Trinitarianly influenced unity is present, God will be glorified and our neighbors will be left going, how is that possible? What's going on here? We can look at them and simply say, it's not us, it's Christ in us. I can get along with her, I can get along with him, I can learn from him, I can learn from her because Jesus has radically transformed my life. So we have to learn something about our own calling from this. It's a call to not be indistinguishable from the world. It's a call not to be isolated from the world, but instead, like these 11 disciples, to be in it, but not of it. We have to live and move among our neighbors, but do so with one another to invite them into our lives and into our community, to invite them to taste and see that the Lord is good and the gospel is real, as they hear and see and experience it through our life together. And listen, if you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm, here, I'm thankful you're here today because you're getting to hear about what we wanna be about together as a community, and so I hope you'll hang around. I hope you'll journey with us. We certainly are not perfect and oftentimes are messy, but I want you to know we are for one another and we are with one another. And we're seeking to live out the grace and the truth of the gospel together. If you wanna see what it looks like to see a life transformed by Jesus, hang out with these brothers and sisters. Now church, we can read a prayer like this and then look around at the world around us and be discouraged. I mean, if we look at the American church right now, it's struggling. I read a prayer like this and think, man, we have a lot of work to do. We have a whole lot of work to do. And the reality is we can't affect change in the whole church, but we can affect change in our church, in our community. And so that's what I wanna call us to. We're entering into a new season as a church, as we seek to join together with Redeeming Grace Church, to be one new church, one new community. And we are doing this because we really believe that we will be better together to make disciples who make disciples. We want to see God glorified in our community and among our neighbors in the nations. We want to be a community that's only explainable because of the gospel. That there's no other reason that we should be together and hanging out except Jesus. We want to do those things, and because of that, the enemy is going to come at us. And he's going to seek to exploit our differences, because there are differences. And he's going to seek to exploit them and lead us to division. We're going to be tempted to selfishness, we're going to be tempted to be self focused. But instead of giving in to those things, let's strive to live out what Jesus prayed for us. Let's strive for a grounded unity in the gospel for the sake of global mission. Let's walk in humility with one another and patience and love, bearing with one another, considering others as more important than ourselves. Let's work together to exalt Christ to the ends of the earth. I'm so thankful that even as Jesus prays for us in this, we also know that we're not left alone to figure it out. Our fourth and final section of Jesus' prayer is lead them. Listen to verses 24 and 26 as we wrap up. 
He prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, talking about us, I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus longs for his disciples. He longs for you and me to experience the the full and true intimacy he has with the Father, to experience and see all of his glory. Remember, he's about to head to the cross and this is what he's praying for us. What a wonderful savior we have, a wonderful shepherd that we have. And because of who he is and what he has done and will do, one day we will see him face to face and be with him forever. But until that day, Jesus doesn't say, oh, we'll just go figure it out. No, he's going to continue to lead us, lead us in grace and in truth and in love. He's going to continue to advocate for us. Sojourn, Jesus accomplished his mission. May we now be united in him and faithful to see it reconciling and redeeming effects carried out to the ends of the earth until he comes again or calls us home. Amen. You know, the gathering of the church is is critical and important for our unity. It's a moment every week that reminds us that we are not a bunch of disconnected individuals. We're brought together to be a part of a family. And one of the clearest expressions and encouragements for our continued unity is taking communion together. See, as we eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us, and as we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us, it reminds us and refreshes us in the reality that we're not only reconciled to God through what Christ has done, but we're also able to be reconciled to one another. And so as you eat and drink today, I want to encourage you to give thanks to God and then look around this room and give thanks to those that are here, your brothers and sisters in Christ that have been brought together because of the gospel. Give thanks for what God has done and is doing in and among us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would just ask you not to take communion today because this is a testimony of our unification in and through Jesus that our hope is in him. So if you don't yet know Christ, we're glad that you're here, but instead of taking communion, we want you to take Jesus, that you would repent and believe the gospel and start a new relationship with him and be a part of this family as a brother or a sister. If you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, please come talk to me afterwards or grab somebody else here. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you and help you along your journey. For those of you that will take communion today, the elements are on the table out in the lobby. If you didn't grab them on the way in, feel free to go grab those and take it whenever you feel ready to. Take some time to pray, take some time to rejoice, take some time to repent, and then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us from our sin and to rescue us from our selfishness. God, thank you for bringing us into a family, into your family, God. And we pray now by the help of your Holy Spirit and by Christ our King that you would help us to be unified. Would you cultivate within us a grounded unity, not in the world or anything else, but in the gospel, not only for the health of this church, but so our neighbors and the nations might see and believe. God, we pray that you'd work in us 
so that you might work through us now and in the days ahead. We submit our lives to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.